<laughs> that would be helpful. All right, let's get going. Today's daf is daf yud, page ten in Meseches Ma'id Cotton. Okay, and we pick up on the very top line of the daf. Hahedio tofer kedarko. So we learned in our Mishnah that when it comes to tailoring something, an amateur is permitted to do it in the usual way. You're not allowed to do an act of craftsmanship on yomtif, even if it's for a yomtif need, for a holiday need. But if it's done in an amateur way, as long as you need it for yomtif, it's allowed. Okay, so an amateur is allowed to sew, fix something on a yomtif with with the knowledge that as long as it's done for yomtif, you can do it. You can't just do it when you need it in four weeks. Here we go. At what point does an amateur turn pro? Fascinating question, right? Sometimes we need to ask ourselves this question in life, right? We, some things are clearly amateur and some things are clearly professional. But at what point do you turn pro? At what ter- point do you turn a professional? You know, this is something that we can ask ourselves in general, but the Gemara is speaking over here when it comes to tailoring. Amri Debi Rabbi So they learned in the yeshiva of Rabbi Yanai. This is the line that they created. Anybody who cannot create multiple stitching with one pull of the needle. You do one stitch at a time, very slow, very tedious. That's an amateur. If you could do multiple stitching over-unders with one needle before one pull, that's when you're considered a professional. Rabbi Yossi Bar Omar, Rabbi Yossi Bar says, Anybody who cannot make an even hem. If you cannot make an even hem, you are an amateur. Now Rashi, uh, Rashi kicks in over here that the hems back then um, had an additional purpose. You know, nowadays we have it uh, in order to have it the proper length. Back then they would have hems because they would double over their garments. Um, they would go all the way down to the floor. They would kind of rub out on bottom. So they would have multiple flaps for their hems. Anybody who can't make a straight hem is called an amateur. Period. That's the uh, that's the Gemara. Okay, so bottom line, what did we learn? When are you considered a amateur or a professional when it comes to sewing? Two, uh, two possibilities. Possibility number one is if... if it's very tedious for you. You got to take one stitch at a time. The other option is you can't even do a basic hem, which is needed on garments. Okay. Then we said, by the way, if you are a professional tailor and you need something for yomtif, what should you do? What should you do? Because you're not allowed to do something in a professional manner. So what am I supposed to do? So the Gemara gives an Eitzah. And the Gemara says, you know what you should do? Machliv. If you're a professional on a holiday, you should be machlev. Ask the Gemara, what in the world does that mean? My machlev. Give me the translation. Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan says, mafsia. Mafsia means it's stitching that is distant from each other. You don't have small, te- you know, uh, well-done stitches, boom, boom, boom. When the stitches are far away from each other, so that removes the title of... It's no longer considered work done by a craft, even if you are a craftsman. But it's now done in an amateur way. It's going to be okay. Rabba Barshmul Amar Shina Kalbasa. Okay, it's got to be like the teeth of a dog. What's the teeth of a dog? We'll call it jagged or zigzag. Let's call it like that. Zigzag teeth of a dog. Right? They have some teeth are shorter, some teeth are longer. So a craftsman should do it in a zigzag fashion. Misargin Esamites. Then we said you are allowed to be Misareg the Mitos. Now let's picture what does Misareg Esamitos mean. So back, let's picture it for our, you know, for you know those of us here in the United States. So you you put a mattress on top of springs. Sometimes you'll have a box spring. Sometimes you'll have metal springs, right? So these Mitos were springs that were made out of ropes. And you're allowed to be misareg. That's the the Aramaic word that we're using here in order to hold up your mattress. You're allowed to create the, the these holding springs. 
Says the Gemara, my misargin umay mematchen. The Mishnah used two expressions, and that is you're allowed to be misareg and you're allowed to be mimateach. And the Gemara here is just asking a basic question, again, to tra- uh, just to be able to translate this. What is the difference between misareg and mimateach? Let's get into the nitty gritty of the understanding. So the Gemara says, ki also ravdimi yamar. When ravdimi came from Eretz Yisrael to Bava, we know ki mitzion teitzei Right? Torah stems from Eretz Yisrael, even though there's a lot of Torah outside Eretz Yisrael. And by the way, there's a beautiful thought given that it's very important, and this is very appropriate for the Torah portion we read this morning, Parshas Yisrael. The Torah portion was given outside the land of Israel, the, the, all, all of the Torah, the Ten Commandments. You ever thought to yourself, you know, why didn't Hashem give us the Torah in Eretz Yisrael? Wouldn't that have been like epic, right? Bring everybody into Israel, give us the Torah there. You want to kick us out afterwards, send us for 40 years into the wilderness, okay. But like, Torah given in Israel. There's an important message why it was given outside, and that is, especially for us, living in the Gullus. The message is, the Torah that's kept in Israel is the same Torah that's kept outside of Israel. And no matter where we're sent around the world, this is our guide for life. This is something that we're supposed to use and look towards. And that's why Hashem purposely gave us the Torah outside Eretz Yisrael to tell us that it's not dependent on the land of Israel. The Torah is dependent on nothing but Hashem. And this is no matter where a Jew lives in the world, we're supposed to turn, we're supposed to turn towards this manual, this guide. So Kiyosa Ravdimi Yom, Ravdimi came from Eretz Yisrael, even though it wasn't given Eretz Yisrael, but Kimitzion the, Tezor, the, the thrust of Torah, once we entered, stems from there, he comes to Bava. Pligi And even though they're arguing, ready for this in classic Jewish fashion, they're both quoting the same source. So they're both saying that Chizkiyahu and Rabbi Yechanan said the following, and they're just arguing over how to quote it, okay? Chadamar once says, Misargin, you know what Misarig means to create these mattress holders? It means Shasi Ve'erev, which is a very uh, common sugya. This comes up many times when the laws of Shabbos and Yom Tov. Shasi Ve'erev is weaving, and when you weave something, you create your ropes both widthwise and lengthwise, okay? So, um, that's Misarig. To weave... Sh- Warp and I'm sorry? Warp and wolf. Warp and wolf. Okay. You're right. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to use the expression of uh, length and width uh, for, you know, for my own comfort. All right. Yeah. So, Misargin is both. Mimateach is... Two is when you lay out the ropes only um, only lengthwise and you don't go widthwise. The Omar, another one argues, says, no, that's not what Mimateach and Misareg is. Rather, Misareg is not Shesi Ve'erev. It's not both. It's Shesi below Erev. It's when you go lengthwise without the width. Umimatchen and Mimatchen is She'im Hayarafoy. If the ropes, once they're woven, started to loosen up, and they're no longer tight together to hold up the mattress, you're permitted to tighten it. Okay, so that's the dispute. But be it as it may, the Mishnah says, listen, you're allowed to be misareg, a bed on Cholomoy. Okay, says the Gemara, is it true that misareg means to only go one way and not the other? In other words, according to law. If misareg means I can only go one way and not the other, length without width, then that would be permitted on a holiday. But to fully weave would not be allowed. Is that true? Rav Tachlifa Bar taught us v'shavin, everybody agrees. You're not allowed to create new ropes. Now, we're not talking about a bed here. Keep that in mind. We're talking about the making of new ropes, which we'd think is a bigger problem to make a new rope than to weave ropes into a bed, okay? But he says, everyone agrees, you're not allowed to make new ropes on Cholomite. Now, if you say that Mesareg means both length and width, and what does Mematchen mean? Length without the width. 
That's why Rav Tachlifa Bar Shmuel ta- uh, told me, Vishavim, that everybody agrees, She'emav Shilin Chavol Nechatechila. Listen, you're allowed, to ma- you're, 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 you're allowed to make the beds, but you're not allowed to make new ropes. Okay? So, new ropes, you're allowed to lay them out as a bed. You just can't make the new rope. But if you say, according to the opinion, that Misareg means length without the width, Mematchin, and what is Mematchin? It means you're allowed to tighten up the ropes. You told me you can't make a, a brand new spring, you know, the ropes for your bed. If I can't take ready-made ropes on Cholamayid to use as the holder for my mattress, would I think I can, I can twist brand new ropes when you're making something from scratch, which is a bigger melacha, it's a, it's a much greater act of labor. Of course you would not be allowed to do that. And therefore, why would I say that you can't uh, create the new, the, the new bed when I already know that you can't do the ropes? Says the Gemara, Kasha. Okay, we have a question here. But guess what? This is a very important answer. Very important answer. When the Gemara says kasha, the Gemara is letting us know there are some questions that disprove everything we're saying. And then there are some questions that should bother us. But even though it's meant to bother us, it doesn't blow what we're saying out of the water. Does anybody hold Masarig means to, to lay out the ropes length without the width? You know when, when these ropes make it considered a bed? When you now have three boxes created by your Shesi Ve'erev. So you see that Misarig means you already have a bed that's lengthwise and widthwise. Allah Kiyosa Ravan. Amar rather when Ravan came, this is what he said. We're now we're now explaining the Gemara, we're now changing. Bim Misargin, when you have Misargin Kulyamale Pligi the Shasavir, Misarig certainly means you're going both directions. Allah ki pligi. So where's the Ramach like yes? Bimimatchin. When it comes to what mematchin means, Mar Sabar mematchin shasi belayerev. One holds that mematchin means you lay out the ropes length without the width. Mar Sabar other opinion is shemayerafoi mematchai that if the ropes holding up, you know, for the bed are there but they became loose, you're allowed to tighten them up. Says Gemara, one second, Mesvei. That's a challenging question. Misargin esamita, you're allowed to be misareg the bed. Vein sarachloim arshem mematchin, and if you're allowed to be misareg, you can certainly. It's certainly allowed to be mimateach. This is the pin of Rabbi Meir. Now, I'm purposely not translating it yet because we're going to have a machlokas as to what this means. But again, what was the statement of the Brisa? You're allowed to be misareg. You're not allowed to be... Uh, and if you're allowed to be misareg, you certainly can be mimateach. This is the pin of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi says, no. Mimateach, you're allowed to be mimateach. Avolai misareg. You're not allowed to do the seregin. And some people say, You're not allowed to be mimateach at all. Okay, now, this doesn't make any sense if you don't know what these words mean. Let's get into the translation. Says the Gemara. It's understandable according to the opinion. Mimatchin means shasi belayerev. You only lay out the ropes lengthwise without the width. Okay? Meaning, mimateach means length without width. That makes sense. You know why? Because that's why the Yesh Aymrim come along and say you cannot be mimateach at all. You can't even lay out the ropes lengthwise to create your bed on Cholamayid. We're being ultra strict over here. You can't do that. That itself is considered too much effort or too much of a craftsman work. You're not allowed to do that. But according to the opinion that mimateach simply means that when your ropes loosened up from your bed, you are permitted to retighten them. Why would there be an opinion that you can't retighten a ready-made bed? Well, according to the Yesh Omrim, it's going to come out and you can't even tighten it. That's not possible. Who in their right mind is going to tell you when you have a bed 
that's made. The ropes are ready lengthwise, widthwise. It's your hammock, so to speak. You can lay out on it. The ropes get a little loose. So it's smart to tighten it up, both for your safety and for your comfort. Is that a problem? Of course not. You need it for the yumtif. It's not this big act of, act of craftsmanship. But what should be the issue? Why would there be an opinion that's strict on this? Says the Gemara, no. Tr- trust me, we'll find a strict opinion. And yeah, why? Why would there be a strict opinion about this? Kivan de Efshar money, since um, you can fill up the holes in the bed with clothing, we would say, listen, you don't have to tighten it up in this way. You don't have to tighten up your ropes on Cholamayid. On you know why? Because you could simply take your socks, for example, and stick it into the loose ropes, you know, with where the you know, when you have the length and the width, so where they cross over, you have a little bit of a knot, stick a sock in or something, and that'll make it more snug, and it'll work that way. You don't need to get all involved and engrossed in the work. I would say, take a garment and stuff it up. Yeah, so therefore, um, therefore, the Yesh Imrim actually will be strict, even in a case where I am merely tightening it, they're going to say, no excuse to tighten it, go ahead and use a garment period, end of that Gemara, end of that conversation, and this leads us to the next Mishnah, a very short Mishnah, let's give a short introduction before we read it. Back then, in the times of the Mishnah and the Gemara, there were two, t- two main types of stoves, stovetops. There was something called a Tanor, and something called Kirayim. There's a fascinating sugya going through the difference between Tanur and Kirayim. For our understanding purposes, all we need to know over here is that one of them was a stovetop that held one pot, and the other is a stovetop that held two pots. Now, these were two very common stoves. It's Chol Hamoid. Is a stove necessary to have on Cholamoid? We'd say, of course. Got a Jew, Jew needs to eat, right? You got to eat. You need a stove. Famous Jewish expression, right? Every holiday, how does it work? They tried to kill us. We beat them. Let's eat. That's how it works, right? So you didn't need to eat. So it's Cholamoid Sukkis. It's Cholamoid Pesach. And I don't have a stove. My stove broke, whatever it is. Am I permitted to cook? Of course. What, am I permitted to build a whole oven on Cholamoid? Like, at what point do we say, and this is going to be the conversation here, at what point do we say, listen, you're allowed to cook, you're allowed to prepare food, you're allowed to have an oven, but like, am I going to, are you allowed to build an oven? And if you're going to tell me yes, okay, how far does it go? Am I allowed to go out to the forest to chop lumber to bring back to my house um, so that I can build, I could use that as a frame for the oven? Like how far does it go where we say, listen, if you're allowed to, if, if a Jew needs to eat and you're allowed to cook on Yom Tif, you could do all this type of preparation. Interesting, it's an interesting observation, right? It's interesting, something to think about. Like, how, how far does it go that we're permitted to do malacha? So let's start reading. You're allowed to build, you're allowed to set up a tanor and a kirayim, okay? The, the one-pot stove and the two-pot stove, and a millstone. You're allowed to, you're allowed to uh, build a millstone on Cholamoid. Now, um, the way a millstone works, it's important to get into, to, to explain how it works, is they would have the mill. In the middle, they had two stones that um, the what, one stone was situated on top of the other. The bottom stone, sometimes even the top stone, had grooves or ridges, okay, in it, like a, 
And then the top stone that moved had a hole. And they would take the wheat kernels, for example, and they would pour the wheat kernels into the hole of the top stone, and the kernels would fall through the top stone, get caught in those grooves and ridges, and as the top stone moved, the kernels would be ground up. All right? That's pretty much how it worked. Now, how did it move? They would have a donkey walking around in, uh, walking around in a circle like a dreidel. Yeah, just going around. And it would move the millstone, and then uh, all the kernels would, you know, all the kernels would, uh, would be ground up. All right? So that's the, you know, that's how the millstone worked. That's important to hear that introduction. Now, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Rabbi Yehuda says, He says, by the way, even though you're allowed to set up a millstone, you're not allowed to make the grooves, ridges, or hole. We're about to see which one it is. There's a dispute in the stones themselves. Okay? She let us set up the millstone, but says Rabbi Yehuda, you're not allowed to make the initial um, holes or grooves on those stones on Cholamoid. Let's get into this. My mevachshin, uh, my bechabshin, keeping dyslexic with that word. My mechabshin. What does mechabesh mean? Rebutam Rebutam says, menakarechaya. It's to make the grooves, make the ridges inside of the stones. Rebutam says, you're not allowed to do that in a cholomite. Rebutam says, no, bas eina. What Rebutam is not allowing us to do is to make the hole in the top, to make a hole in the top stone that I'm going to pour the kernels into. Is this clear? I hope I explained, like initially, right? Again, there was a bot, the, the way that the kernels were ground is you'd have the stone on bottom. That didn't move. There was just ridges and grooves in the bottom stone. Then there was a top stone with a hole. They would pour the kernels into the hole, and as the top stone moved, that's how it would be ground up. Clear? So the question, so, so there were two things done to this, these stones. One action done to the stones was you got to make the hole. Another action done to the stones is there needs to be ridges and grooves because otherwise the kernels have nowhere to go to be ground. You can't have, the stones couldn't be smooth, flush against each other or it wouldn't grind up the kernels. So there were two things to be done. Rebuta says you're not allowed to be, uh, you're not allowed to be mechabesh. So there's a dispute. What machabesh means? Does it mean the initial hole to pour the kernels into, or does it mean the ridges? Okay. Mesvei, they asked a challenging question. You're allowed to set up an oven or a stove or a millstone on Cholomai. That's our Mishnah. Ubovad, as long as, Shlo Yigmar Melachtan, as long as you don't do a total job. As long as you don't do a complete job, because that's more of like the act of a, uh, a craftsman. Yeah? So you could build it as much as is necessary. But don't uh, don't perfect don't don't perfect it don't make it perfect okay divi rebbe liazer this opinion of rebbe liazer the chum say af yigmar no you could do a a gezunta stove you could do a proper millstone rebbe yudah and rebbe yudah says mishmai he says in the name of rebbe liazer mamidin esachadosha umechabshin esayishana you're allowed to make a new millstone or even make the the holes or ridges in the in an older one. And the last opinion is the most stringent one, and that is you're not even allowed to create the ridges in an old one that got smoothed out. Okay, that's the Bryson. Now, what's the question? Let's get into this. The Gemara explains. Bishlama, it's understandable. Lemanda Omar Menakerichayo, if you're gonna tell me that 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 uh, means to make the grooves and ridges, it makes sense why you would want to do that to an old stone. Because when you have an old stone, what's going to happen after a while? The grooves and ridges will get worn out. It'll now be smooth. And now that it's smooth, it needs to be fixed. So I get why you would work in old stone to make new ridges. But according to Rabbi Yechiel, here's the challenge, ready? Rabbi Yechiel says, what, is, what does Mechab Shemin? 
It means to make a new hole in the top stone. What does that mean? Yeshana basein alamali. When in the world are you making a hole in an old stone? Just because something's old, does that remove the hole from the middle that you pour the kernels into? No. The only thing that changes is the grooves and the ridges. But when would I make a new hole in an old stone? It must be, this is the challenge, ask the Gemara, it must be that mechabesh does not mean the new hole, it must mean the grooves and ridges. Answers the Gemara, no. Wrong. You know why? Kigain de kaboi ler porta. Sometimes you want to pour more kernels in at once. Yeah? You want to make more popcorn at one time. So um, you'll make a bigger hole. And that's what we're allowing. You can have an old stone. It has a hole. True. But you want a bigger one. That's where we, and, and that's where the conversation comes in. A little bit of a story that's connected to this. Ravuna uh, Shamei Lehu Gavra. Ravuna was listening in to a person. He was fixing up his millstone on Cholamoid. Amar Manhai. Ravuna said about this guy. Who's this guy fixing up his millstone? Uh, yeah, his, he should, his body literally means should become chayl. Should be mundane. He's using his body in a mundane manner on Cholamoid. Okay, so he didn't want, he's obviously of the opinion that it is absolutely forbidden for a person to make the new ridges on Cholamoid. It seems that he, he holds like the Yeshaimrim who say you're not allowed to fix up any, uh, the millstone in any sort of fashion on Cholamoid. Now, this is a fascinating chumrah. This is a fascinating stringency. You know why? Because, one second, why would it be permitted to fix up a millstone? Because you need food. You need food. But he must be of the opinion that, and this is what we introduced the Mishnah with, the grinding of the kernels is too far in advance of an action to say this is part of my cooking process. Remember we asked before, like, how far does it go to allow me to do labor? Where I say, oh, listen, I need food. So anything that has to do with food is permitted. So he must be of the opinion that it doesn't go so far as to actually grind your kernels. You need your ingredients in your kitchen, and then you could cook. But to go out to the millstone, eh, he says that's already labor of yomtif, and that you shouldn't do. Dorash Rav Chama, Rav Chama says, no, that's not the halacha. He says, no krim you absolutely are permitted to create the ridges and grooves in a millstone of cholamoi. That is considered part of the cooking, baking need, the eating needs of a Jew on, on the holiday, on the yomtif, and you absolutely are permitted to make ridges and grooves in the millstones. Mishum Rav Meir Amar, who said in the name of Rav Meir, Afilu Sus, Listen to this. Even a horse or donkey that a person rides on, okay? And they need to get from place to place. They're visiting family. So they go to Hertz, rent a horse. And you're taking your horse. And you want to trim the nails on the hooves of the horse. Otherwise, the horse is going to be uncomfortable. He says it's permitted to do on a holiday, no problem. Listen, if it's permitted to trim the nails of the hooves of a, of a horse or a donkey on Cholamoid, it must be that you're permitted to do uh, for, a yum, for, the, for food on a yomtif as well. Okay, top of Yudamud Beis. Avochamara, top of Tenbi. Avochamara derechayalei. But he says, listen, the, the, to trim the hooves of a donkey that walks in a circle by the mill, the, the, that donkey, that donkey's not going on a long trip. That donkey's just walking in circles. Yeah, he's, he's in the middle of Simchas Torah. Right, he's doing the seven akafas. He's going uh, around and around at a yeshiva for four hours. He keeps going. He says, there, there's no excuse to trim the nails. He's not going too far and that's not allowed. However, Rav Yehuda even, even says that's okay. Keep in mind, keep in mind, what's the whole conversation here? This is fascinating. Why, what's the whole conversation here? Because I need food. Because I want to eat. So the question is, how far do we go? Keep that in mind. 
So Rav Yehuda, Shari the Mishkal Tufri the Chamar Derechaya. Rav Yehuda says, no, even a donkey that's walking in circles around your, uh, around your millstone, you, you're permitted to take care of it and make sure that it has an easier time. That's all part of your holiday needs. You can even set up your millstones. Forget the ridges. You can set it up from scratch. And you can build it. You can even go get wood to build a frame to set up your millstones. That's how far you could go. You could get wood to build a frame for your millstone to grind the kernels so that you now can make flour and then sift it and then bring it to your kitchen and cook a, a delicious challah for the holiday. And you can even um, build a stable or a barn for your animals on cholamoid. Okay? Why? Why? Because this is a Rashi points out this is a different reason. As I do with the with the cooking, baking, holiday joy, this has to do with what we learned earlier, something called a Dover Ha'aved. On Chola Moed, you are permitted to do work if the lack of work will cause you a financial loss. For example, we don't work, a person shouldn't work on Chola Moed. But if you're going to get fired from your work, if you don't show up, you better show up. Okay? You're not obligated to lose your job over that. A person just shouldn't work, you know, if it's going to lose a profit, but if it's going to take a loss of principle, that's permitted on Cholamoid. So over here, says Rabbi Yehuda, to take care of your animal's barn, your animal's stable, make sure your animal is safe and healthy, that's okay. Because if you don't have a proper place for it to live, they can lose their value. Uh, and you could lose your animals, even that's allowed. Okay. Ra- Rava, Sharalis Ruke Susia. Rava said it was permitted to comb your horses, Ulamivne Akarpita, Ulamivne Itztava. He says you're even uh, allowed to build platforms and you're allowed to build um, uh, a different type of platform. One. Um, one is made out of wood and one is made out of stone. Okay. Ravashar, again, what, and these were for people's needs in order to sit down on the Yomtif. Ravashar, the Mishkal Dama, the Behemoth Bechel Damiada. Rava says you can even let blood of your animal on Chalamoid. Why? Because back then they believed that this was very healthy, both for humans and for animals. It's for your animal's health. You're allowed to take care of it on Cholamoid. Amr Abaye, Abaye says, I have a brysa that proves that you are correct, that you're allowed to have to let blood from your animal on Cholamoid. Why? Because we'd say, You're allowed to let the blood of an animal, and you're allowed to do anything that keeps your animal healthy on Cholamoid. Rava said, you're allowed to use an iron to press your clothing, to make them neat and clean. That's okay, because any person who's ever been shown how to turn on an iron and lay out a shirt can do that. My taima, so why are you allowed to press your clothing? My sehetyatu, because your average person can press a simple garment. However, says the Gemara, Omar of Yitzchak bar Ami, Omar of Chista, Kiture bire aser. To make pleats is not so simple. Your average person needs more experience in doing that, and therefore you cannot do it on Cholamoe. That's the, my time. Why? My Seumanu. It's the work of a craftsman. Okay? Now, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a heads up. From here until the end of today's daf, we're just going to go through very, not just, it's a, it's a big deal, but we're going to go through various rulings of Rava and how they're connected to these ideas that we just shared of Cholamoid, i.e., for example, he's going to say, this thing is allowed because it is an amateur work. That's not allowed because it's a professional work. This is allowed because uh, if you don't do it, you're going to lose out on your principle. This is not allowed. He's, he's going to take all the rules that we've been learning and just apply them to w- with practical applications. Here we go. Amar Rav, Rav says, 
man de miskal ara, a person who's mesakel his land. He takes the pebbles, the twigs, he's smoothing out the land, he's cleaning it up. Adaita de bay dori. So here's the, here says Rava, it depends what you're thinking. If you're thinking to smooth out your land because you need a clear area for a threshing floor so you can prepare your grain, shari, it's allowed to, to smooth out your, your land. Because why are you doing it? To eat. However, if the reason why you're doing this is because it's helpful to your land, sir, you can't do it. It's forbidden. You're not allowed to work your land just simply on cholamoit. Okay, so says the Gemara, "Hechi dummy." So, how do we know practically what you know, what the guy is thinking? Okay, and and I want to preface this. This is very interesting. I think there's a very very important yisod. The Gemara is here is asking, and we're going to ask a few times. How do we know what the guy's thinking? How do we know if he's really thinking that he's doing this for a threshing floor? Or he's, which is allowed, or he's doing it to smooth out land, to make it, you know, prepare his land, which is not allowed. So that's the Gemara's question. I'm going to ask back on the Gemara. Who cares? Why don't you ask him? Why don't you ask him? Okay? What the Gemara is going to show us now a number of times is a very important base in life, which is, Actions, as we know, speak louder than words. A person can say the right thing. I'm talking to myself. A person can say the right thing from today till tomorrow till the next day for years, for decades. You could give speeches, lectures. If your actions show different than what you're saying, then the words are absolutely meaningless. You can tell your spouse, your parents, your siblings, your kids, your colleagues, you can say, I love you. But if you then emotionally hurt them, you don't love them. You don't. It doesn't make a difference whether you told them, I love you. It's very important to say this to, to, to our family and our loved ones, right? It's very important to express it with words. Words have meaning. But not if our actions contradict it. If the actions really contradict our words so then it the, the words have don't hold any weight don't tell me you love me and then turn around and time after time be not nice to me one second you're telling me this but you're saying something else again i want to clarify say i love you to people but mean it mean it means act on it right the gemara is now asking one second. You want to rely on what the guy's thinking? Hey, chidami. Is there a way to see in a person's actions that no matter what he tells us, we're like, no, dude, we can see clearly from what you just did exactly what your intentions are. No matter what you're going to tell us. I can look at your action and pinpoint what your mindset was. Let's get into this. It's fascinating. Hey, chidami. How do you know through his actions what ultimately were being thought? Answers the Gemara. Mulye b'mulye. Okay, I'll tell you why. Um, if he digs, he takes dirt from a hill and puts it on another hill. Or he's digging a hole and he puts the dirt into a different hole. Then it's very clear that he's not doing anything in particular to fix his land. Because he wouldn't do it that way. What's he, he's not helping himself. It must be for a threshing floor and it's allowed. However, let's say he starts taking dirt from a hill in his yard and the extra dirt from the hill he puts into a hole. So now his whole land, his earth, is going to be one flat area. You know what we're going to say to him? Sweetie pie, don't tell me you're making a threshing floor for your food. You are working your land. You're whatever you're smoothing it out. You're, this is something you could be you could have done before the holiday, after the holiday. Adaita daara. It's very clear from his actions and the way that he's doing this that he's doing it for the benefit of his land, and it's not allowed. Viyamarava and Rava says furthermore, Haiman de Zachi Zive, a person 
who goes out to the trees and he starts gathering large and small branches. Adaita de If he's gathering the branches for firewood or for either to keep warm or for cooking, shari, that's certainly allowed. Adaita da'ara. But if you're doing it because you're trying to clear out your land, so then, Osir, you're not allowed to do it. Says How do we see through his actions what his intention is? Says the says Rava Shoko Ravi Vishabakzutri, if he takes the large branches and he leaves behind the smaller twigs. So that is normal when it comes to firewood. Adaita Ditsivi. That's permitted. Because you see clearly from his actions, no matter what he tells us, his actions of only taking big and not small is letting us know, yeah, he's he he's taking it for firewood. That's allowed. He could do that. However, Shoko Ravi Vizutri, if you start taking your big branches and your smaller branches, you don't need small branches for your wood. You'd be like, no, I'm allowed to do this. I need it for my fire to cook my food or to keep warm over the umtif. We're like, dude, if you're taking the, even the wood that's not needed, it must be you're doing this just to clear out your land. This is putting in unnecessary effort and you're not allowed to do that on the umtif. And furthermore, Rabbi says, a person who opens up channels for water to run into his field, if he's opening up the channels for the water to go to his field so that fish will flow from the river into his land and it's easy trapping, ah, you're allowed to catch fish, right? So shari, that's allowed. But if he's doing it to irrigate and water his land, Osir, you're not allowed. How do we see through his actions if it's allowed? He says, if he opens up two openings, one higher and one lower. So what happens is, as you as the water runs from the higher ground to the lower ground, the fish kind of gets stuck at the edge of the higher one. That's a very, that's the normal way to stop fish. So So that means that you wanted your fish for yamtif and it's permitted to open up that channel. But if you only opened up uh, one level, so we're going to automatically assume you did this for your land, it was not for the purpose of catching fish, and it's going to be forbidden. Clear? Yeah, is the, these halachas coming through, understand where we're going with this? Anything that's for the benefit of the land, yamtif is not the time to be working your land. But if it's something that's important for the holiday, it's good. And same thing like we find in life. Very often, there's one action, but it can have multiple applications. So we're trying to figure out which application is the focus here. V'yama Rav, Rav says furthermore, You have a person who's breaking branches off of a, a date palm. So Rashi explains these are very soft shoots from a date palm tree that animals eat. So if you, you're pulling it off the tree to feed your animals so they have something to munch on, shari, it's allowed. If you're doing it by breaking the shoots off the tree so the tree can grow more shoots, you want to, you want to help the tree. Oh, sir, you're not allowed to do that on a yom tev. How do you know what, 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 his knowledge, what his mindset is? I'll tell you. If you took all the branches off of one side of the tree, it's now... That's for sure for the animals. Because if you did it for the benefit of the tree, you would do it equally on both sides so the tree grows evenly. That's for your animals. If you did it exactly perfect on both sides of the tree, must be doing it for the tree, and it's not allowed. Even if you're going to say, no, but I'm telling you I did it for my animals, your actions show you're improving your tree. Nothing doing, not allowed. Rav says, Hani Tamrei, uh, when you have dates that that are um, um, the word's not raw they're not ripened yet okay they didn't grow enough yet migzerinu shari so um, you're allowed to be gozer them gozer literally means to shear like you shear an animal you cut it off so migzerinu shari to to um, cut them down off a tree, cut, cut. Um, you're cutting the dates off the tree. Okay. Now, there's an interesting thing over here. Usually, to cut dates off a tree, there's no problem. It's food. Here, the dates aren't really ripe. They're not. They're not. It's not the right time to pluck them. At the time that I'm doing it. So, if at the time that I take it down, I cut them open. 
That's okay, because I'm showing clearly with my actions. Listen, most people don't need it at this stage. I happen to, I have a fancy taste. I like dates that aren't ripe. Okay, go, enjoy, knock yourself out, right? You're allowed to eat, uh, you're allowed to eat this food on Yom Tif. However, my tzinhu asir, to press them is forbidden. Why? Because the reason why they would press the dates is to get the, the moisture out so that it could dry. The drying of dates, it was a process. It took a couple weeks. You're not allowed to do an action on cholamoid for food that I'm only going to eat two weeks from now. So if I'm showing that I'm pressing them now, I'm showing that really this is not for the holiday. This is meant for after the holiday. So then it's not allowed. You shouldn't have done that. Rav Papa, Amar Rav Papa says, Kivan de Metalye. Um, um, he says, no. He says, by the dates, may, maybe the reason why you're pressing them is because if you don't get rid of the moisture, they're going to spoil. So, he says, that's allowed. You know why? Because if you don't press them, he says, very nice, you're doing it for two weeks, but guess what? Guess what? If you don't get rid of the moisture, what's going to happen to these dates? They're going to spoil. And a spoiling, you don't have to let your thing spoil on a yomtif. Now it becomes a loss of principle. See, he says, either way it's allowed. Again, unripe dates. Am I permitted to dry them out? Opinion number one is no, because you're doing it for after the holiday. Opinion number two is, you're right that it's done for after the holiday, but it's still allowed. You know why? Even though I shouldn't take it off the tree, but once it's off the tree, it's going to cause me a loss. If I don't dry it out, now it becomes allowed, because otherwise I'm going to lose the value. Okay. Vyoma Ravan Rava says, Prakmatya Kolshahu Usr. Any sort of business, transactions, back and forth, purchasing clothing, for example, on Cholomoid is not allowed. Omar Vyesi Baravan, Rabyesi Baravan says, Ubadavar Ha'aved Mutter. If it's going to cause a loss of principle, it is allowed. And this is really the halacha, right? Let's say, for example, on Cholomoid. So uh, a person needs something. You need a garment for the yomtif. You should uh, really, ideally, we're supposed to prepare before the yomtif. But if you didn't, it's going to cause a, a a loss of money. Then it's going to be allowed. Ravina, a little bit of a story. Ravina Havlehu Iska. Ravina had a business deal. Davim is Davim Bishisa Alfe. He he was supposed to sell his things for six thousand zuz. Shavi Lezabuni Basachulu But he went above the letter of the law. He went above and beyond. Really, again. You got a good deal. They're not going to take it after the holiday. You're allowed to make that transaction because otherwise you're going to lose. But he decided to go above letter of law and he said, you know what? I'm just going to wait. The Zavne betrays her Alfe. After the holiday, the great Lord helped him and the price of whatever he was going to sell doubled in value. He made more money. Okay, fine. However, the Gemara is going to give us another story now with Ravina, where, for whatever reason, he didn't go above the letter of the law, and he actually made the deal on Chalamo. And I find this very interesting. That we're going to have. The, let's read the next story, and it's it's very interesting. Ravina have a masik zuze bivne akra deshanvasa asa bivne akra deshanvasa. Ravina once was able to collect money from the people who lived across the Shanvasa uh, river. Asla Kameder of Ashi. So he came to Ravashi, he says, listen, it's Cholamoid, everybody's home on Cholamoid, it's the best time for me to collect the debts. Is it proper for me, is it allowed for me to go collect the debts on Cholamoid? Because I know they're home, and you know, otherwise everyone's back at work, and it's hard for me to... To you know, to uh, rein everybody in to to collect the payments. Amarle he says, yeah, since it's easier for you to find them now, and you're not going to find them later. It's as if it's a loss of principle, and you're permitted to collect your money on cholamoid. And it seems that's what he did, right? So it's interesting. In the first story, he decided to go above the letter of the law. And wait, okay? In the second story, he didn't. Now, I don't know for sure, but one thing you could say is, and I think there's a, there's a nuance here, which is very important, 
to focus on nuances. You know, in the first story, if he wouldn't have sold it for 6,000 6, zuz, did he know that he's going to take a loss? No. It was just like a lost opportunity. Okay. But opportunity could come up. Anybody who has any sort of experience in business knows that very, you know, it, it's not rare where we think we're, uh, and then all of a sudden something else pops up from another side that we couldn't even imagine. There's, okay. You know, it's not worthwhile to jump into crisis mode right away. There's other opportunities that present themselves. That it happens. But in the second one, really according to Derech according to nature, people just simply aren't home. So to go so far to rely on a situation that you know is not going to come up again, that's, that, that much is not necessarily even the right thing to go above the letter of the law because you you got to make sure your your loans are repaid you got to earn a living right you got uh, so it's interesting that ravina in this situation he went and he collected it tanya nami uh, tanya we learned to the price so similarly we learned the same thing by avidazara what does that mean Hochin, we go top of you're permitted to go to the yurid yurid is a fair of idol worshippers and, and, and do business with them, do transactions with them on Cholamoid. The and use their courts. Because it's as if you're saving yourself from their hands. Meaning you you're making sure what you're letting usually we don't go to the non-Jewish courts. But if you're gonna make sure that you're protected, because these are the courts that they're following, so the Allah is that that uh, such a thing would be allowed. We're going to hold it here for this evening. We're up to Rav Shara, Lechia Barashi, the last word on the third line. And God willing, Hashem, we will pick up from here tomorrow morning, 9.30 Central Time. Good to everybody. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening.